Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I first saw it in November. An old friend posted a series of beautiful watercolor portraits of herself on social media. By the end of that week, more and more social media friends posted their own series of pics. I knew then that this trend was here and a lot of people were going along. The most popular app is called Lenza. You upload a selfie and about 20 minutes later, you've got portraits of yourself. Some apocalyptic, others whimsical or cartoonish. Sounds fun, right? Well, the artificial intelligence that created these portraits scraped art created by human artists, including some right here in Nashville. Is this the way of the future? That's coming up later this hour. But first, it's time for At Us. Yes, each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. Happy 2023. Happy 2023 to you, man. You know, it's great to be back in the Mm -hmm. studio together. We still had a lot of shows for folks to enjoy while they were out, while we were out, really. You know, folks, they wrote in to share their thoughts about them, especially our episode on the so-called Nashville Nice. Yes. Uh, Nashville Nice episode re-aired last week as part of our Best of series. And just like the first time we aired that episode, our listeners had a lot to say about what they consider to be Nashville Nice. Mm -hmm. So one of the comments is from Chad on Twitter, who said, quote, this uh, that is called being passive aggressive. Sack up and be direct. Yes, Chad. Let's be direct for 2023. I agree. That's a new resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, Suzanne on Twitter also weighed in on Nashville Nice to say, quote, you left out an important point of being Nashville Nice that's specific to our city and not just the South in general. It's the stars who live here. If you're from BNA, you know not to approach or make a big deal when you see someone famous, maybe a smile or a head tip, but that is it. They have the right to their private lives. So have you ever heard about this, Khalil? You know, I have heard stories of celebrities hanging out at local bars or shopping at the mall. Most folks just mention their name and then they proceed to going about their business, which is pretty cool. Well, on the flip side, Suzanne has an instance of when out-of-town guests once asked Reese Witherspoon for her autograph while she was at Loveless Cafe. Hmm. Suzanne added, quote, I was embarrassed that they asked her since we don't do that here in Nashville. But <laughs> Reese could not have been kinder to them. You know, is it fair to say we would expect nothing less from the Pleasantville actress? <laughs> of Maybe. course. Now, over the holidays, we also got some feedback about an episode from last summer on the state of Nashville's independent venues. We originally produced that episode in June to respond to Mercy, Mercy Lounge closing. Listener Mark sent us an email saying, quote, The story about the small venues was not accurate. Victims. As an example, Mercy Lounge is not going away. No one was driven out. End quote. There is so much more to be said on this topic. So we responded to Mark and shared that with this particular show, we wanted to highlight that many indie venues have closed how we have known them. 
since that first since that episode first aired, we have learned that Exit Inn will reopen, but under new ownership. Also, the former home of the Cannery Ballroom, Mercy Lounge, and the High High Watt is undergoing a facelift right now and is expected to reopen sometime this year under the new name Cannery Hall. Now, if these venues will have the same vibe of their old version, well, you know, that's going to be up to the locals to decide. Mm-hmm. All right. So before the holidays, when everyone was busy setting up personal resolutions for the new year, we flipped the script by asking listeners what resolutions they had for Nashville in 2023. Y'all know we had we love to crowdsource yes. at This Is Nashville. That's and right. this was a really fun episode to do. And I wanted to share that before the episode when we were asking community members to record a voice voice memo of their resolutions so we could play it on the air. We got a very sweet note from Seth Richards. He said, quote, stuff like this makes me so happy to be part of this community. And you know what, Seth? We are glad that you are part of this community. That's right. I love that. That's cool. Plus, we got a new story up today where you can check out the top resolutions that we crowdsourced for our city at thisisnashville.org. Anything else on the deck, Anna? You know, I cannot leave the studio without asking for listener input for future episodes. Mm -hmm. So next week, we are doing a show about long COVID. So most people who have had COVID, you know, recover from the virus just fine. But for some, their symptoms actually get worse worse and come back weeks or months after, you know, they think they get better. So listeners, if you have long COVID, we would love to hear from you. And we have a form at thisisnashville.org where you can share your experience and hopefully get your voice on the air. Mm-hmm. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon. Of course, and our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll turn to AI. What is it exactly? And how is it affecting local artists? Join the conversation. Do you have AI-generated portraits? What questions do you have about AI? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. By now you all know, we produce shows with you and your interests in mind. That's how we came up with today's topic. It came from a DM on Instagram at thisisnashville underscore WPLN from Kensuke Nakamura. So we called them up. Hi, this is Nashville. I'd love for you to do an episode on AI art because it's really exploded in the past few months and I see it everywhere. People are making AI profile pictures. I've seen some really cool movie mashups where they reimagine Star Wars as a silent film or Dune as directed by Wes Anderson. It's really impressive technology, but I have a lot of friends in the art community and not only does it seem perched to take away a lot of work from artists, but it can also be really violating to have your work taken without your knowledge or permission and then emulated for a corporation's best benefit. I see this as potentially catastrophic for not just visual art, but all art in the future. Uh, I'd like to know how it's affecting local artists and what kind of discussions happening around it. 
Thank you, Kensuke. We've invited some local artists to answer Kensuke's question. Joining us now are local artists Kelly McKernan and Taekwon D. Morton. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. This is going to be great. You know, so also joining us all the way from Boston is digital artist Natrice Gaskins, assistant director of the STEAM Learning Lab at Leslie University. She's a leading voice in the field of digital art and was an early adopter of AI. Natrice, welcome to This is Nashville. Hello, and thanks for having me. Really a pleasure to have you. So let, let, let's start with the basics. Natrice, what is AI art? Um, AI art um, it originally came from Google um, in about 2015. They started to, um, inside of their labs, explore um, creating images using artificial intelligence, specifically machine or deep learning. And they were applying um, styles or image styles to images. So you could take a photograph, upload it, and then apply different styles. So you may make a portrait in the style of Picasso or in a Van Gogh, um, maybe your portrait in the style of Starry Night. And um, did a lot of research, produced a lot of papers, and then released the code to the world in around 2015, 2016. And then uh, that's where I discovered it, and I was using it to teach. And then um, at some point wanted to use it as an artist. So it's been around for about five or six years. Um, not current, And then currently the new crop of tools are using text prompts and image prompts and a different type of AI. But it's been around for um, using it to sort of uh, um, either enhance or totally build or generate images. Um, now, it's been around for a while. Okay. Now, Kelly, you actually had your work scraped by an AI graphic generator. How did you first find out that your work was being used? Hey, so um, I actually had a handful of people start tagging me on Twitter uh, with my name, but images that I did not paint or had no recollection of creating. Mm. Um, so I, I had been notified that my my name and my style were being trained on um, in very early versions of this. I think I was like one of the first 400 artists that they, they started scraping work from and you know, nobody asked me <laughs> what I thought. They just did it. <laughs> mm. Now describe for us the style of art you make. So, um, my work is, uh, it's graphic and illustrative, but it's also very feminine and ethereal. Um, if you've ever heard of Art Nouveau, um, that's probably my strongest inspiration. Um, and, uh, I work as an illustrator and a fine artist. I do, uh, comics and gallery work. Um, I'm working with Evanescence right now on a graphic novel. Um, mm. so I do, do a lot of different stuff, but, uh, my, yeah, it's primarily watercolor and acrylic gouache. So I don't use any digital medium. So you're pretty accomplished. How long did it take you to develop your style? <sighs> Gosh, um, well, I've been working professionally for uh, over a decade now, but about 15 years ago is when I really set out to develop a personal style. Um, I put a lot of work into it, um, trying to figure out what was speaking to me and what wasn't and and how to uh, continue to develop the style that I've, um, I've been using up until today. Now, you told us that you know, you had people tag you on Twitter that they thought this was your work and it wasn't. And you you realized that your work was being used to teach these AI graphic generators. Tell me, mm -hmm. how did you feel when you saw that your work was being used? 
you know, at first, um, it didn't feel violating. I found it kind of exciting and intriguing because uh, I knew it was going to happen eventually. I knew the data was out there. I knew that um, this was being worked on. However, I didn't expect to um, find out that my name's been used over 12,000 times in mid-journey alone wow. as, as a prompt for these uh, new artworks being made. Um, and as the technology got better, um, I could see, I could see my hand in this art that I didn't actually make. Um, so it went from being a, a kind of a curiosity to, you know, kind of feeling like they've just, <laughs> someone's scraping my, my, my brain for things I haven't even made. So it became, you know, a little violating. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned mid journey for listeners. Mid journey mm -hmm. is another AI generated app where you can type in prompts and text prompts and it creates work for you. Now, now Taekwon, as an artist, you come rent this from a slightly different angle. You use artificial intelligence in your creative process. Tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, as you said, my name is Taekwon. Uh, by nature, I am a storyteller. Um, writer, poetry is my first love. So for me, I wouldn't say that I am the best uh, visual artist by any means. Uh, the way that I've used um, the way that I've used Dolly E2 is specifically I know I, I have these ideas in my brain, but I really want them to be a reference point. So when I'm collaborating with a visual artist or I'm collaborating with someone that I want to uh, create an artistic installment, they see exactly what I'm envisioning, um, even though I'm unable to actually jot that down on paper in the best way. So for me, it definitely has allowed my process to be more efficient, um, but also a little bit more expansive as well. Um, when I use those, when I use like those tools exactly, um, I have so many different ways of kind of going about those ideas. It might have been the exact idea that I had, or it might have expanded it um, based on what I had previously thought. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned Dolly E2. What is that? Yeah, so Dolly E2 is an artificial intelligence that uses any sort of text that you have to generate um, an image very similar to the the application that Kelly had mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, had mentioned earlier. Like, so like mid I just type, you just type, yeah, just like mid-journey, right? So you just type in what you want to see and it generates the picture. I think the really cool thing about it is you can put it, you can specifically put it in the style of an artist, right? So I, I'm really fascinated by Salvador Dali because of surrealism. So let's just say that I would have typed in a cat eating at a dinner table in the style of Salvador Dali. It would then generate that style with that exact image. Wow. Now, now tell me, how do you feel about human artists being shut off from credit or even profit from their work? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I think as this becomes more public, right, I think even as we saw it with Linza, I think that opens a lot of people's ideas and minds up within the, the ethical nature of it, right? So hmm. overall, I think everyone should get paid, right, especially if it's coming straight from that source. So there needs to be some sort of royalty. And I think that also just kind of goes back to the policy and legislation that needs to be changed um, to, to ensure that that is able to happen. Now, do you have reservations about using these tools as an artist yourself? Yeah, I think the reservations definitely, you know, people getting scammed. I think that's the best way to put it. People um, not getting the royalties and the credits. Um, also, for me, just as a Black artist specifically, a lot of the reservations that I have is that 
when these people are creating the algorithms or the machine learning um, uh, modules, whatever they may be, um, they're often not people of color. So the, there's an, uh, an inherent bias that comes with that. Um, and I think my biggest apprehension is really just Black folks and Black artists and storytellers being left behind. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about artificial intelligence and the recent rise in popularity of AI-generated art. Tweet us your thoughts on AI art at This Is Nashville. Now, Natrice, graphic artists have been using computers to generate images and art for decades. But in Kelly's case, AI copied their established work and style. Does that seem fair to you? Um, I actually don't think it's fair. Um, I do believe there is a way to do it ethically, and I've been working on that um, for a while. Um, when I use Midjourney, um, I actually prefer it over other programs. Um, this is an open, transparent development process, and they have open office hours and a community that talks to each other. Um, but if you're being very intentional, like you're intentionally talking about someone's particular work, um, in your text prompts or even in your image prompts, because you can actually upload um, images to Midjourney and use text text prompts as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're directly referencing someone's work, then that person should be getting compensated, especially if you're going to sell it. If the goal is to com be commercial with it at the out, you know, when you're finished. Um, so if there, but there are a lot of other artists who use something like Midjourney as concepts. So to come up with ideas and then they can then go and paint, digitally paint it in another program. So they don't end in Midjourney, they use it to um, inform or give them ideas for other things that they could do that's part of their usual process. Um, there are also artists who don't reference any artist and that they really kind of just explore what's called latent space, which is kind of multidimensional space, kind of how the technology works. Mm -hmm. which is kind of, I like to talk about sampling and music, but it's also like collage. There's just different visual elements that it's grabbing and it's um, not so much scraping. And uh, it will scrape if you ask for a particular artist, but you're being very gen um, general. It will look for just images, elements from different places to put together something entirely new. Um, so there are many different ways to use the technology, not just you know the ones that we hear about which is when someone's being very intentional in terms of when they're referencing someone else's work. Now, can you, So I think there's an ethical way to do it versus some, something that's not so ethical. Can you define scraping for us? Like how do these programs acquire these skills to make these artistic renderings? So when you are using these tools and so you're talking about a neural network um, and the ability of an algorithm to search. So using all the different ways in which if you're uploading an image, um, onto a stock photo or some other image, you're using alt text. So you may put in like a description about what that image is. Well, that's what it's searching for. It only understands, you know, kind of these images and text. It doesn't understand, Im I'm not images, but uh, numbers and text. So it's looking for whatever's been labeled butterfly. Um, so if I say butterfly, it's just gonna, you know, cast a, a net out to find all the different inf um, mentions of butterfly and uh, try to approximate what a butterfly looks like and create and generate that as an image. Mm -hmm. So all the images uploaded to the web, basically that have butterfly and it's been tagged butterfly might be part of what it's trying to learn in order to produce the image that you want. Now, you know, we're talking about this, this technology and the ethics involved, you know, but what about artists potentially losing money? 
Kelly, how has the rise of these apps impacted you financially? Um, I'm not sure that it's impacted me financially immediately. However, I am very, very concerned for the near future, especially in instances where um, somebody might actually want to hire me, um, say like a um, an unpublished self-publishing author who wants to hire me for a book cover. And instead, they're going to say, you know, I could do this for cheap or very free just by using my name and my style and creating something that looks like I made it, but I didn't. And therefore I've lost out on a potential, a potential job. And that's just like one small example of, um, how this can play out. Um, and I'm already seeing it happen, um, in my industry where, uh, large publishers are using AI generated images for book covers, comics, uh, you name it. And, you know, for a lot of these companies, the bottom line is profit. So if they don't have to pay an artist for the image, they're going to do that. Um, whereas I'm never going to see a dime from, from that. And as it is currently, there is no, there is no setup for royalties for all the artists whose work is being scraped like me. Um, no one asked for our consent. And as far as I know, um, even with the mid journey, uh, crew talking about wanting to support artists, I haven't seen any action toward that at all. You, you know, you mentioned books, but we're in Music City. I imagine there's a lot of independent mm -hmm. artists and sign artists who are looking for album artwork and album covers yep. and other places. Is, is that a good part of your business or some of your peers? Yes, it is. Um, I do also do album art. And uh, again, often a lot of these uh, musicians, they're, they're small or they're not with a studio and they're paying out of their own pockets. Um, you know, a, an album art job that may help pay my rent, it's, it's gone because they're going to go create an AI image <laughs> that they don't need to pay for. So, you know, I understand that these generators can take, can make art in 15 seconds in a style that has taken 15 years for you to develop, mm -hmm. Kelly. That's pretty wild to yeah. me. It's it's pretty wild, and the technology is, technology is getting um, you know better because that's how machine learning works. While you know all the hands have four, five, twelve fingers, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. They'll, they might figure that one out soon. I'm 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 uh, <laughs> I, I don't I won't be surprised um, if uh, AI images um, proliferate the. The part of, you know, the part of my career that's been supporting me for the last 10 years, I'm, I'm very concerned about my future. You know, Taekwon, what are some of the larger issues that come to mind when you're thinking about artificial intelligence and creative spaces? Yeah, I think I think a major thing that I hear from a lot of us, um, but I'll just speak for myself, is really just the ethical nature of how, one, how we're representing artists. Um, I think we're in a society already where a lot of artists aren't getting paid with what they're worth, right? So if you're going to artificial intelligence that is able to make this product, right, or this illustration in 15 seconds um, versus going to someone that might take a bit longer, um, that's obviously money out of someone's pocket. Um, I think there's going to be an inherent bias, as I mentioned before, right? I think, I think because machine learning is what it is and people are working in it, that aren't necessarily representative of everyone in society. I think 
eventually people are going to get left out. Um, so I think those are really the two major concerns. And I think an additional one that I have is really people losing this connection with art, right? If, if art is just being made by this machine, right, or this algorithm, making sure that we're able to have like a human touch to it is going to just, if we don't have that, right, it's going to get lost. Yeah, you know, I want to ask that. Is the art that these apps generate actually art? Kelly, what do you think? Oh gosh. Um, okay. I think, I think the answer is yes. Objectively it is art. It is a visual medium. It's an interpretation of prompts and a lot of data collected, um, data that nobody consented to. Um, however, when I see it, because I have a trained eye, this is what I, this is what I do. I see an AI image and I know immediately a human did not make that. It, it, it's lacking soul. It's lacking. Uh, it's lacking direction. Um, but I don't think the average person can really can really tell. Like I said, unless you start counting fingers. <laughs> well, but well, uh, how, well, how, how sure. can you tell? How can you tell that it's an AI generated image and not mm -hmm. something that was touched with human hands? Um, you know, I can see things in composition. I can see, I can tell when something is intentionally made that there is an artist with, with skills that they've developed for years, you know, decades even. Um, and then in an AI image, you can see this, there's this flatness. There is a kind of a generalizing of styles, um, a big mixture of things without a clear direction. Um, it might be visually beautiful. The colors might be gorgeous. Um, you know, thanks to all the artists they were scraping from, they have a lot to work with, mm. but, you know, you look at the eyes, people's are in different directions or, you know, again, the hands, you know, multiple finger fingers that don't belong there, little clues like that. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, again, most people don't see that. Now, now Taekwon, what about you? What do you think is, are these images actually art? No, I, I think for me, I wouldn't say that they're art. Um, I think the way that I see AI, right, and in, in the way that I enter into it is really as a tool, right? Really as a tool that allows me personally throughout this process of conceptualizing something bigger, right? Like I said, I'm a writer specifically. So when I'm trying to imagine these worlds that are in my head, but I can't necessarily see the picture, right? If I'm able to type it in the way that I would describe it in my text and I can see it, right? It allows me to describe that a bit more. So I wouldn't inherently call it art per se. Um, and as Kelly mentioned, right, there is a lack of human humanity, um, a part of it, especially if it's algorithmic. That is local artist Taekwon Morton. They were joined by Kelly McKernan. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Natrice Gaskins is going to stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll get into the ethics of artificial intelligence. It's not too late to join the conversation. How do you feel about the recent rise in popularity and use of AI apps and AI-generated art? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. AI image generating apps like Lenza give users the ability to turn selfies into impressive works of art. 
And plenty of us have been downloading these apps to generate new and imaginative portraits of ourselves. Before the break, we heard how this is affecting local artists. But what about the ethics of this? How do the questions of privacy and ownership play in? For that, I'd like to bring in my next guests. Doug Fisher is a professor at Vanderbilt who teaches about ethics in artificial intelligence. And Evan Conrad is an AI developer based in San Francisco. Doug, Evan, thanks for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. Pleasure to be here. Really happy to have you Thank both you. here. Now, you know, technology is improving by leaps and bounds pretty much every day now. Mm -hmm. Doug, why are all these AI apps currently picking up so much steam? Well, I think part of it is just the massive amounts of data that are now available for these AI applications to draw upon. I mean, AI art, not AI art, but computing art has been around since the 50s. The new thing is now the use of machine learning, which is drawing upon existing artworks. And the previous uh, segment uh, talked about that quite a bit. And, um, you know, in terms of uh, Generating selfies, who doesn't like to look at themselves mm -hmm. uh, when uh, cast in a, uh, a seductive way? So that's one part of it. I'm wondering if developers found this nexus of social media and people's vanity. Right. That's yeah, I, I think definitely that that is uh, one reason for the increase. Okay. So, you know, I have to ask, have any of you used these apps to generate portraits of yourself? Not portraits of myself, but plenty of my friends have done so on social media. So Ev I've seen it. Evan, how about you? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> nice. Okay. Now, you are an AI developer. What do you think is behind the recent rise in popularity of apps like Lenza? Um, Stable Diffusion came out and was available in open source and uh, turned out that you could make a significant amount of money. Um, like taking Stable Diffusion and productizing it and then selling it, I think is basically the gist. Can you explain to us what Stable Diffusion is? Uh, Stable Diffusion is like um, they trained a whole bunch. It, like, like it is the it is the core thing that like Lenza is using and a um, lot of other like AI apps are using uh, Mid Midjourney, not um, but other other applications are. Um, it's like a the. The core model that was trained um, that many of the other apps are using. It's an open source free thing that you can pick off the internet. Okay. Um, so it's basically like the, the basic program that the other apps then go and develop from. Yeah. When people are talking about like the AI model that generates all the art, like they're talking about stable diffusion currently. It's the one that's like available. Uh, Dolly is like sort of a closed source private one that OpenAI has. Uh, stable diffusion is one that anybody can like pick off the shelf. Okay. Okay. Now, well, tell me, you know, how are apps like Lenza, how are these important to the development of AI? Um, like, how are they important to the development of, um, like, the broader AI? Or do you mean, like, yeah. specifically? Uh, yeah. uh, they provide funding for it. Like, apps like Lenza provide funding, it, like, they, like, people buy, uh, the like, a subscription to Lenza, and then um, that sends in money, but like, maybe your question is how does like, how does AI art, um, like contribute to the development of AI? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like, I, I want to know um, how all of this technology is really feeding the advancement of artificial intelligence, which day by day is growing, you know, it's taking a larger role in our lives. I think like one thing that might be reasonable to say about that is that, um, 
like most of AI art came from people not really trying to work on AI art. Mm. Uh, like I don't, I don't think anybody like went to OpenAI to like make AI art. Um, I, I think it was like a sort of um, a, a byproduct of other stuff they were making, um, like specifically technology that was like just used for broad image recognition and image generation. Um, so things that you might expect to be used in like a self-driving car or like medical diagnosis. Um, like I think most people when they were like building image generators, um, they were more thinking that is what was going to be used. Like if you went back like five years ago or 10 years ago and you asked somebody like, what will be the like initial use case of AI? I think almost nobody would have said art. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everybody would have said like self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Doug, earlier in the show, Nashville artist Kelly McKernan talked about how their art has been used to teach the app how to use watercolors and her style. But they've received no credit or compensation for this youth. Is there a solution for this? Well, I think there are probably several possible solutions. I mean, one thing that people have been talking about is deep diffusion or um, uh, diffusion models and uh, artificial neural networks. And these AI programs are essentially collections, massive collections of thousands or millions of very simple computing devices. Each computing device, each artificial neural neuron can do very little, but when you combine them, they're very powerful. And so it's very, it would be very difficult, non-trivial, to take a look at a particular image and say, this is a synthesis of this person's artwork and this person's artwork and this person's artwork. And so you have issues of um, what's called data lineage. Hmm. How do you trace back and uh, say that a particular image resulted from a particular artist's or these particular artists' work. Uh, and I was struck by um, Kelly and um, Taekwon's uh, statement about uh, lack of humanity and soul in these uh, pieces of art. What struck you about that? Well, what struck me is you see the same place in um, you know chess playing. Mm. As chess players uh, play remotely, there are accusations of cheating that some players are using AIs to uh, compute the moves that they should make. And so people regularly see irregularities in things that are generated by AIs, not just in the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what struck me about it, is that um, uh, there is there are these disconnects that um, uh, people can notice, maybe not laypersons, but artists... Uh, in this case, uh, can notice. Now, you know, uh, regarding those disconnects, how important, well, how can the companies that own Lenza and similar apps be really held accountable for making sure that the artists that they scrape from or are influenced by receive some sort of credit? Well, you can certainly, I think, um, they can uh, determine and identify and maintain records of who they've scraped from and uh, give credit to those artists and you can certainly do things like even if you can't solve the data lineage problem precisely, which would be very difficult using this technology, you can certainly identify like styles. Mm-hmm. We've generated this piece of art uh, amongst our local artists in Nashville uh, whose art is this most like. And uh, you can display that artwork. You could create a, a platform uh, for local artists uh, that... Um, you use the AI art as a jumping off point to uh, highlight. You know, I'm curious, 
as to what's being done with the data that users users are sharing in the form of selfies. Evan, can you tell us what happens to that? Um, it would depend on the company and what they're doing with it. Um, Lenza, so to um, speak, for instance. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be able to tell you what Lenza is doing with it, um, but my suspicion is that uh, they are probably not using it um, necessarily to train their own models. Well, maybe they might. Um, but my reason why I would bet they aren't um, like fine tuning on your selfies um, is that it would then mean that other people's selfies would look like you. But I'm now, now that I say that out loud, that might actually still work. So um, they, mm. they might be doing that. Um, like the thing you don't want to have happen is like somebody uploads a not safe for work photo that they think is private. Um, and then like later it generates that not safe for work photo or some other privacy information. Mm -hmm. But then again, like maybe Lenza doesn't care that much about privacy. Um, and like, they're like, uh, like it depends on whether or not you trust Lenza. Um, but I would assume that if you're uploading an image to them, um, that they have that image now and you should just like know that they have that image. So you just mentioned trust real quick. So is it important for everybody to read the fine print of terms and conditions before really trying these applications. Yeah, uh, like uh, of course. Uh, I should like mention that there is like there's like s multiple layers here. So there's like Lensa, which is like an application um, that's you you send um, your photo to and it generates the thing for you. Um, but it's not actually doing the generation. It's like taken this other model that's off the shelf and they've like got a copy of that model and they're running that model, but like Lenza didn't do the scraping, for example. Like mm -hmm. maybe they did some own scraping for fine tuning and such, but like Lenza didn't make the model. Um, the, the model just like exists. Um, mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about the recent rise in popularity of AI generated apps art and apps like Lenza. Digital artist and teacher Natrice Gaskins is still with us. You know, as we mentioned earlier, Natrice, you were an early adopter of AI and art. How have you seen AI and its usage change over the years? Um, at first, most people weren't um, paying attention to it. Um, I, because I was putting images up on social media, got the attention pretty early from institutions like the Smithsonian and um, did an exhibition with them uh, that closed in J July. But what I want to point out is that um, with the technology, as it began to um, advance, I actually, as um, an artist, started to use it more often and realized that my images improved the more I used the technology. Um, there, in terms of, so what I'm specifically saying is the client in this case might be the Smithsonian. They can actually license images that I use. So when I work with the Smithsonian or, or a publisher, they can license um, the images first. And then as an artist, I can use those images in a way that's more ethical. Mm -hmm. That was already happening um, with me and the work that I was doing. But then it got to this point where it became more, um, the tools became more ubiquitous and people could just download it or use a, something like a Discord server and not have to do any uh, discussions or any kind of negotiation with a client so that they can just produce images all the time, however they want it. And that's where we are now. Um, so I was more careful um, in the first few years of the time when I was using the technology, and I'm still careful when I work with clients, that's basically the process. They license the images and then I use those images. But most people don't even do that at all. And I think the the future, as it relates to artists being able to work with um, institutions, cultural institutions, art uh, museums, and also uh, publishers, is that there needs to be a relationship established 
similar to what I've done, where there are licensing images, whether it's stock photos or other existing images that artists can use. And I think that's where we're, uh, where I would suggest people head as it relates to um, that. And also it means that these artists can actually get paid to do those album covers and to do the book covers and to do exhibitions in a way that allows them to use the AI, but also use it ethically. Yeah, so we're in this kind of wild west at the moment, but mm -hmm. there are ways to be more ethical. Now you mentioned the wild west that we're currently in. I remember specifically 10 years ago, conversations around intellectual property were really heavy. And a lot of people were having those conversations as far as art and visual images. But you say now we're in this wild west. Is that because of the development of these new technologies that regulatory agencies are behind on really trying to set regulations for? Yeah, and I think, you know, intellectual property issues, we're dealing with digital artists who were, um, many of them use stock photos as references and, and things like that prior to AI being something that people would use. And so IP was an issue, an issue for people using analog material as well as using digital tools to produce the work. But I think now, because you can't, an AI is a machine, it's not a human, mm -hmm. and it cannot copyright, cannot copyright itself, like its work. So, but if I'm an artist and I use it as part of a process, so if I'm using it and layering in it in Photoshop or something else, or print it out and layer it in paintings, if I'm using AI generated images, but then I'm also um, either repurposing them or using them in another tool to do what we would do before AI, I can then, that's a, that's a gray area that mm. needs to be captured and somehow dealt with. Mm -hmm. And that's also there too, as an issue to, to, to address because um, some people are artists who are using AI, who are using it in a way that's, um, their traditional processes to support that, to enhance that. Mm -hmm. So where does the copyright lie in that case? So these are big time gray areas. Doug, you taught a class at Vanderbilt on the ethics of AI, and you're also touching on this in a current class, you're teaching on computational creativity. What are some of these gray area ethical issues that you address in your class? Well, some of them have been addressed already. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, one thing I worry about in this area is uh, self-image, particularly on the part of uh, children and other vulnerable populations. Um, that hasn't been talked about yet, but how do children perceive the artworks or the uh, selfies that are being produced and presented to them? Um, you know, children are one vulnerable population that uh, I think we should be concerned with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this gets back to that... Um, point that Kelly and Taekwon made about humanity and um, uh, soul, uh, I would trust human artists to recognize if I'm generating a selfie of somebody, I don't want it to be derogatory. Mm -hmm. I don't trust an AI to do that. Um, and um, so that's one concern I have, and that's one concern that would be addressed. Um, Natrice has written about um, the diversity of um, software development teams in other contexts. And so um, I would not trust a software development uh, team to have that kind of nuance towards, say, children um, that uh, would result in AIs that um, weren't necessarily always flattering, but at least weren't derogatory and uh, sexualizing images. Natrice, can you expand a little bit more on that? Um, well, I, I think so are you asking me to expand on um, 
on which part? Uh, expand on, on what Doug was talking about, about the lack of diversity in some of these development teams and how that causes potential, you know, pitfalls. Yeah, that's a whole, I've written, done some research on the history and development of algorithmic bias in digital art, um, specifically looking at biases that come from photography and film and moved into CGI and now into AI. Um, I uh, just recently wrote a piece that um, went viral about an image that I had done um, using Midjourney. And then I went into Photoshop and, and continued to add to that, that went viral. So there's about 50,000 likes on Instagram and people started to repurpose that image. And I questioned, um, and, and that repurposing, a lot of people think that the that those that particular image is not AI. Mm. Um, and it's of, of two uh, twins and they're girls and they're um, uh, basically no photograph, there's no photograph that exists like them. And they are used in a particular way for in this case, Afrofuturism, but they're really, it's went viral. And um, when people started to repurpose it, I noticed that people were tagging me. So they were using this and saying, oh, look at this. Is it a painting? Is it real? Is it a drawing? And looking at the responses, people had a really hard time figuring it out if that was the case. So I had somehow been able to get beyond the soulless quality of the AI generated mm -hmm. art into something that people felt more human about. Mm -hmm. Now, can you find and that aura is sorry, go ahead. For our listeners who don't know, I apologize. Can you explain yes. real briefly what is Afrofuturism? It is a, a um, it is a um, cultural movement and sometimes an aesthetic that pulls on science fiction and historical um, and history and uh, literature and fantasy and things like that mm -hmm. and, um, and and looking at the past, present, and the future kind of at the same time. So it can deal with time machines, but it can also look back at slavery. Um, in my case, I'm just dealing with. Um, Kind of futuristic hairstyles or futuristic clothing or accessories um, incorporated into an image and so that's kind of how i fuse it so that particular image has that in there as well as this idea of can you create uh, and they are two children they're two girls and they're mm -hmm. twins and they don't exist anywhere else except through this particular collaboration of, with ai mm -hmm. but is the people's reaction to it thinking that it's not ai that I'm really curious about. It has actually gone up, you know, and made the rounds and I can see what people's responses have been and they believe that it's not AI. That's interesting. Very interesting. You know, Evan, this is bigger than just art, right? Like where else are we seeing AI show up in our daily lives? Uh, I would assume that the next 10 years are going to get really weird. Um, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, like if you haven't gone and tried like chat GPT, which is the like open AI, um, sort of easy interface to try out the language models. Um, I would just like go try that out. Um, the, the basic sort of just is that like, um, th there's kind of like AI labs that are working on like specific, um, uh, like products in one area. And um, you can think of like AI art as like a product in one area. Um, and then there's like AI labs that are trying to work on like AGI, so like artificial general intelligence, um, like the sort of do everything AGI. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe like the definition of that is like um, a point in which you could have an AI um, do any like economically valuable task uh, cheaper than you could have it uh, a person do it. Um, and like for a long time, this is sort of like the dream of AI um, and maybe sort of like a pipe dream of AI. Um, but 
kind of seems like we're just sort of on the way now. Mm. Um, like a bunch of recent advancements have made it seem like um, we're really all you need to do is scale up compute and kind of wait a little bit of time. And like, of course, we'll see some other like research advancements that will come along the way. Um, but uh, I would expect almost every industry to be um, uh, like affected by this. Now, Doug, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that things are going to get weird in 10 years, like Evan's saying? I think they are going to get weird, uh, potentially. I mean, we've already talked about the possibility of artists losing uh, jobs. This mm -hmm. has been a big issue in um, assembly line robots already. And uh, now we're talking about autonomous vehicles and self-driving trucks, cross-country trucks. And will uh, truck drivers' jobs be uh, affected? Um, you know, other issues that I think are really going to cause um, craziness are deep fakes. Mm -hmm. And um, the technology we've been talking about today isn't directly related to generating deep fakes. But I am still somewhat surprised at how many people are surprised and um, or how many people believe even cheap memes. Mm -hmm. um, can you imagine what uh, convincing video and audio will do? Um, in which uh, storylines are also created by AIs that are related to historical fact, but not quite historical fact. Mm. This is where AI is going, and um, it will result in levels of disinformation, I think, that um, uh, are really quite alarming that we really need to think about. Latrice, about 30 seconds here. Same question to you. And also, do you think we it's too late to put the genie back in the bottle with all this you know, potential weirdness happening? Um, everything that I'm reading and, and all the discussions all point to this is the new normal. I'm heading to a point where this is something that's going to, it's inevitable. It's something that's going to continue to develop and it's out the bottle. Photoshop, for example, Adobe is already saying Photoshop is an AI software. So we're already at a point where um, industry standard software programs like Photoshop are have are so built on AI. Um, so we're the genie's at the bottle. We just really need to sit to think about its implications and try to create a situation where people can actually use it in ways that are ethical, in ways that are safe and in ways that encourage creativity and innovation and doesn't stifle the voices and contributions mm -hmm. of artists in the process. Okay, that is digital artist and teacher Natrice Gaskins. He was joined by AI developer Evan Conrad and Vanderbilt professor Doug Fisher. I want to thank you all for being with us today. Any fans of Terminator know, I guess, Skynet is coming. Wow. Okay. So we want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. For many folks, there's nothing like having a fresh pair of kicks to add pop to your outfit. That's right. We're checking out our city's sneaker culture. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Magnolia McKay, Digital Lead is Anna gallegos and Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lake Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>